welcome to Education, Leadership and Beyond, Surviving and Thriving. It is show number 132 and welcome to the program. So happy to be on with you. Also proud to be a member of the Education Podcast Network and Voice Ed Radio airing in Canada. Our friends up north, uh, as well as live here on Facebook. Really excited, just really excited to uh, connect with today's guest, Steve Donahue, here on show 132. Steve is the coach at University of Pennsylvania basketball, men's basketball program. I've known Steve a number of years. We kind of worked our way up together, even though we were on the opposite sides of the, the sideline there. Steve is an amazing coach, a great guy. Uh, and really uh, just an honor to have him on today. So we're going to meet Steve uh, in a few minutes. Also, would like to thank today's sponsor. We've had some education sponsors, but uh, was able to connect with my friend David Mafai and his, uh, his company, Havsies Cookies. If you need to send a package to someone, you need to send a treat. Someone had a baby. Someone had, unfortunately, maybe a loss. His cookies. Coach Donahue asked me about that. He said, how are they? I said, they're fantastic. So I'm going to send him a package here. But if you want to order, use this uh, checkout uh, code here, Murata15. You'll get 15% off. I'm telling you, they're vacuum sealed. They come. You can put them in the freezer if you're not ready to use them. And then uh, you break them out. You, you warm them up a little. Microwave or oven. Fantastic. Check them out. Company.com. David Maffi. Thanks, my friend. Uh, so it is show number 132. And, again, happy to uh, have Coach on. Uh, with me here. And, you know, today's theme I was thinking about with Coach Donahue, right, and, and my work now as a school leader, how important it is the power of collaboration. What's going on in schools? What's going on in colleges? What's going on with athletics? The power of collaboration, right? And how important it is that that we collaborate with those that we work with. Us as the leaders, right, Steve has a play at the end of the game. You know, he can listen to everybody, but he's got to make a decision. Me as the principal, again, similar concept. But now, more than ever, the importance of the power of collaboration, the importance of teamwork. And I heard this today from my friend Dr. Rob Gilbert on Success Hotline. Tell me more, right? You have an idea of, of how we can open schools. Tell me more about it. Your meeting and someone comes up with an off-the-wall crazy idea, tell me more about that because everything's on the table now, right? We all want this to work. We all want to try to figure this out. And the power of collaboration now more than ever is very important. So I urge you, if you're an educator listening, if you're a coach listening, get those people around you and maybe even the people a little further out, maybe not around you, right? Are you having parent forums? Are you having student forums? The power of listening. All of those police chiefs out there that are having problems in the community, right, with protests and the inequities that have been brought to the surface. What are you doing to listen, right? So those are all important things that I strongly urge. Uh, and again, regardless of your role in education, uh, the importance of collaborating to make this thing work. So that being said, let's bring him in. We're going to get him. He took some time out uh, from his vacation uh, in the Jersey Shore down there. There he is, Coach Donahue. Welcome Andrew, to the program. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Yeah, great to be with you, Coach, and I really appreciate you making the time. 
Coach, what are, what are your thoughts on that, about the power of collaboration right now with all that we have in front of us? What were your thoughts on the opening comments? You know, um, I love the word collaboration. I think sometimes even coaches forget um, that collaboration means empowering your players too. Um, it's not just them doing it uh, for themselves, but we have to incorporate all of our kids in particular with what we're facing right now. If we're all going to make this work, I love collaboration. It should be us all on the same team with this. The other thing you touched on, you said even more people. Uh, we use a word, word called fa now. It's, it's a Maori tribe word from New Zealand. And it, what it basically says, is, it's similar to family, but it's way more than that. It's everybody that helps you be successful, whether it's whoever cleans the gym, uh, furnishes the locker room, uh, administrator who helps you organize travel, parents that help the kids get to school, pay the bills. That's our fa now. And I think that's any organization that can build their, their fa now as large as possible. And everyone feels like they're invested and can make an impact on that. That's how much more success you're going to have. I love that, Coach. I wrote that down. That, that is great. And, again, this is Coach Steve Donahue, the head men's basketball coach at University of Pennsylvania. And you have a big group that cares, a big support group. You know, what are your thoughts uh, now, Coach, in terms of what's happening with your organization, with the Ivy League, you know, suspending athletics for the first semester? What are your thoughts and, and what's been your communication with your team about that? I think our communication um, with our guys is, you know, we looked at it, I come up with patience and optimism. I, I think we have to be patient. Uh, safety is paramount everything we do uh, but we want to be optimistic I mean it's easy to go down that rat hole and just just be so frustrated with what life has thrown at us we just can't do that uh, but you have to be patient in the same way we're going to get through this uh, we look at it as a chance to get stronger our bond tighter each of us doing more individually and then when we come out of this we're better for it um, like any other uh, adversity in your life. Um, we make sure that we're staying positive. And as I said, uh, it's got to be uh, also patient uh, with it for sure. Yeah. And you got to, your kids got to be frustrated, right? You have incoming players that haven't played. You have some veterans, you know, they're not going to play basketball here for two months, that's, that's gotta be tough for them to swallow. Even though you're put, you're, you're saying patient and optimism, what's your message to those kids? You know, um, we look at it as a chance to get basketball back and be together. We're all going to be on campus at Penn and we're going to go through three phases. The first phase is, is that they're on the court one-on-one -on -one with a coach and we get to work with them. After four or five months of not doing that, that's a big step. Um, and as I think about it, I just don't want them to, to keep looking ahead. Just live in the moment, figure out what's the best you can do in this situation. Um, because, Andrew, if you start thinking about it and not thinking of 
possibly no season at all. And just, you're just not going to be productive in the moment. Um, I want our kids to focus in on the positives that we're back together. We're on campus. We're working on your craft that you love. You're around guys you love. You're at an institution that you love. It may not look the same, but in time, we'll get there. Yeah. Coach, I, you know, I'm a believer that you are going to land where you're supposed to be, right? And we're going to talk about your career coaching. You've been coaching forever. Uh, and you've worked your tail off, worked your way up. And here you are in your hometown where you grew up. You played ball there in college. Your wife is from Philadelphia. And you're the head men's basketball coach at University of Pennsylvania, a, a worldwide institution with one of the best arenas in the, in the, in the country, for sure. Okay. It's a special place. What does this mean for you to, to be in this, this spot you're in right now? Oh, Andrew, it's um, if you're from Philadelphia, um, I think you probably under, understand it, but I would have never dreamed I could be one of the five big five coaches in the city of Philadelphia. Um, growing up, that would have been just a crazy aspiration. I just wanted to be a coach. If I could coach high school, uh, junior varsity, anything. Um, so I can't say that was ever a goal, but as I grew in the profession, and started thinking if I can continue to grow my craft and somehow land at a place like Penn in the Big Five, at, at uh, in a place like the Palestra, um, then that's unbelievable. But it's only five of those spots in the world. They just happen to be in Philadelphia, and I have one of them. And I'm so grateful for all the people that helped me. Um, and I've been very fortunate because I, I didn't play at a high level. I wasn't a very good player, and I had people that mentored and cared about me enough to give me opportunities to grow. And who were some of those people, Steve? Yeah. I know you worked for many years for one of the best. Yeah, uh, yeah you know. Let me go back further, Andrew. My high school coach was the first guy I, I admired uh, in coaching. I just, he had, at, at that age, 14 years old, so impactful. He's my English teacher, a guy named Buddy Gartler, just passed last year. Mm. Still, I think of him many times as I grew in the profession. I was fortunate enough to have a great high school coach, a great college coach in Skip Worley. So I only had two main coaches over those eight years that really taught me uh, the, the pureness of the game and what is really important. And then to work with Fran O'Hanlon, and then Fran Dunphy, and Dunph for 10 years. And no one's taught me more about um, how to treat people than Fran Dunphy. And it was, it was by his actions, but it was also his words. Um, and being around them 10 years, um, I'm very fortunate to really, when I left, I was really prepared for my own job. Which obviously you did pretty well. We're going to get to that in a minute. How about the intensity, Steve? You, you and I have been in a lot of games together. Uh, always so respectful, but you, you're intense, right? You're into it. Uh, I'm going to ask you about the whistle too, right? But where does that intensity, where does that, where does that fire come from uh, in your life? You know, Andrew, I, I think all my life, I just, I love competition. I think all coaches deep down. Um, there's something intrinsic about the comp, the work of just the ability to compete. 
and there's nothing I can say exactly, hey, here's how I can explain why I'm so competitive. There isn't anything. But it, I can tell you it makes me feel really good to compete. Um, and I think, I, I, I think I've learned to control that and use it as a positive where probably early in my career, I use it as a negative and I try to teach younger guys not to make that same mistake. Um, I've learned incredible from failure to learn how to do it. And competitiveness is just something that I think if you don't have that um, and you're not waking up every day thinking how you can make your program better and how you can win a championship and how you can get these kids to have the greatest college basketball experience, then you're in the wrong profession. Um, and competitiveness means every aspect. And I want my guys to look back and say, like, Coach did everything he could to better us, to, to give us opportunities, to push us, to challenge us, just all, this, all in the right way without lowering the bar. I remember we were at Yale once in a really tight game, and you were right at the top. I don't know if it was one or two or whatever it was. And one of, the, one of your guys got bloodied, and he was like a scrum on the floor, and he was bloodied, and you grabbed me and you said, listen, we are here to win. They, I don't, they're knocking us around tonight. We are here to win. You, oh my God. I think you had the kids' blood on you. You were like Rocky in the thing. It's funny hearing a referee talk about it. Damn. I oh, but I loved your intensity. I did. You knew your team mirrored that intensity without you acting like a maniac on the sideline. I appreciate and that's a compliment, right? I appreciate you, that. You just felt that. Um, and the other thing, right? The intensity, you know, there's people that are watching this program. Again, it's on in Canada, it's on around the country. Some people might not know what the palestra is, uh, Steve. You know, us here on the East Coast, whether from Boston, Again, down to D.C., even even down to Virginia. People know, right? But what does the palestra mean to you and, and you get to work in there every day? I, I think the palestra, even if someone doesn't know the sport, would walk in and, and see us like our game last year versus Villanova, 9,000 people. Um, I think the best way to describe it is, is that everybody in that building has an impact on the game. It's such an intimate environment that you can have an impact no matter where you're at because you're on top of that, you can influence calls, you can influence players, um, and it's just an amazing place to perform. Coach, play, ref, watch, um, and it's what makes college basketball special uh, because we don't play a lot of these games, and they all mean so much. And it's a place where you can just, I almost figure out, like, if people tell you a great theater, uh, wait, maybe, a, I remember I saw you two in 1982 at the Tower Theater. Mm. It was an intimate, it was almost like a religious experience to see a group that ends up being the best band in the world in such an intimate uh, setting. That's what the palestra is. It's basketball at its purest without the glitz, but just pure hoops. And I'm sure people have asked you, right, where's your favorite place to play? And where was your and, – and the referees do that, right? Where was your favorite place to officiate? And I've heard UCLA. I've heard Kansas. I had an opportunity to be at Duke a few times. And I hear the palestra. I hear those four arenas and Madison Square Garden, you know. 
but yeah, that arena is in in held in esteem, and uh, I, I agree with you, right? Those they're right on top of you, those fans. Yeah, I, was there. I can see the I can see the last guy in the bleachers' face. Like I can see how upset he is or how happy he is. Uh, <laughs> and I guess going back to history, the old it's a it was, I think it's going to be ninety five years in, in twenty one. But they used to build the, with pillars. So there's always, you know, obstructed views. The pleasure isn't. They did it with the, the arches in the cathedral ceiling, and there was not a bad seat in the house. Yeah. I think that plays into it as well. I used to be able to hear the guy in the top row cursing. <laughs> <laughs> now, before there, I know you spent some time as an assistant down there, uh, but let's, let's move back a little bit to your time at Cornell. You spent 10 years at Cornell. And you took a losing program to not only the NCAs, right, which is the ultimate goal. You made a magical run there. You know, tell me about that three-year span, uh, Steve, and, and and what led to that. Yeah, I think if you, I think people looked at it as a quick three years, and we turned it around. It was yeah. seven years of um, really hard. Like I didn't have a winning season until year seven. Uh, but I had administration um, that really believed in what we were doing. And that's just so rare. Andy Noel, the athletic director there, every year just added a year to my contract. And we win five games, seven games, nine games, 11 games, 13 games. He still saw and believed. And what that enabled us to do is all those kids that came forward and helped us build into a program and enable us to recruit great kids who were better players. And that's what we did. And we just got a core group of kids that believed in what we were doing, played a certain fun style. Uh, and we got lucky, Andrew. We got lucky. We got lucky with a 7-1 kid that Division three teams didn't think was good enough and ended up an NBA player. We got a coach's son from the NBA that people didn't think was good enough and he ends up being our all-time leading scorer. There was all those little things that led to it uh, that enabled us to, to bond. And um, it was such a great experience because of the type of kid I was able to coach. And we had so much fun as we did it. We worked really hard, but it was so much fun to be a, around those kids every day. And for these real basketball fans that are watching today, I, I went back and looked at the schedule from the year you went to the Sweet 16, and that was no surprise. I mean, people were surprised when it was happening, but if you looked at who you beat earlier in the year, yeah. shit. I mean, you 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 beat some really good teams, and you had an excellent team that year. That you know, you deserved to win those games, right? You were a 12 seed, right? We were, and our only yeah. losses were three of the our five losses were to number one seeds wow. at Kansas, wow. um, at Syracuse. Um, Where's my, I don't like to remember losses too much. <laughs> Kentucky. Yeah. There were three of the number four seeds. Lost to Seton Hall. And then Penn got us at third place when we were ranked. But um, I agree with you. We were ready. We took two trips to the NCAA tournament. We had the same quarterback. We were the seventh oldest team in the country. Uh, we led the nation in three-point shooting that year. Um, and we just, as I said, we had a group. And there was a million little stories. You go back to collaboration, there was kids that started as sophomores that barely played as seniors. 
doing a Sweet 16 team that didn't care about that. They just cared about uh, doing whatever it took to win. And back to your main point at the beginning of the show, just a collaborative effort for the good of the squad. And then those Ivy League games, everybody was gunning for you. So those games were hard. Yeah. Yep. You know, everybody wanted to knock you off. You you were the Duke of the Ivy League, looking to, everyone looking to beat you. So every night was a challenge. Yeah, we're 39 and three during that stretch. And wow. Just crazy. Undefeated and only team outside of Penn and Princeton still to go undefeated in the Ivy. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled because it's, it's an incredible group of guys who are now having kids and families and they're successful. That's all the things we sell about our programs and they're doing it. And, and I'm grateful for everything they did for me personally. Yeah. Cornell. And did you know it was time to leave then? Was it the right time, right? You, you went to Boston College, had a chance to coach in, in the ACC, and you made that move. Um, how, how did you know, right? Did you know that it was the right time? Yeah, I think so, Andrew. I think in this profession, you, you want to give it a shot at the best. It's like anybody else, wherever you're at, you want that challenge. You want to see what you can do. I also, at that point, I turned down – a ton of opportunities that didn't fit me at the highest level. Uh, three years of that. And then this one came along, Boston College, um, a, a Catholic school in a great city, in a great league. Uh, it just seemed the right place for me. And I say this even after having been there four years and getting fired, uh, it was a great four years. I had one bad day, I got fired. Everything else, I have no regrets. Yeah. And what, what would you say, you know, you learned about that? You didn't have the success there. You had a Cornell and or Penn. What were some of the things that you learned from that experience? Yeah, I think there was a lot of things uh, that we could spend hours on, on the basketball side, the tactical piece. But I, I tell you this, I, I probably um, took for granted the type of kid I got at Cornell. And the type of kid I got at Cornell was because of they really didn't have many options. Cornell was the team that showed them the most. So they came and hence they were so grateful for the opportunity. I go to BC and I probably just underestimated that, that I didn't get bad kids at BC, but I didn't get the kids that I, that understood how difficult this was going to be, how difficult they would have to change to, make sure the team came first. There were slight envy and jealousies and things that I didn't handle well. I could have taught them better. I could have grew that group. And I, I learned a great deal after that that made me, when I took my next job at Penn, to make sure I didn't miss those steps. I skipped a ton of steps at BC. And it cost me. And I, I just, but as I tell my guys, Failure is not fatal. Um, not learning from it, it, it is. But if you learn from it, uh, it goes back to your point. I'm, I'm at a place where I probably belong. And and even through some of those losses, right? You never, never took it out on the refs. You never blamed the refs. Uh, you know, and whether I, I was on the game with you or not, you always, again, positive, energetic, enthusiastic. I appreciate uh, that. That's a credit, you know, to you. Um, well, I also and, think as coaches, that's, 
you know, you got to walk, you walk the walk. You know, if I'm going to talk about poise and uh, fighting adversity, I'm not going to go blame it on a bad human who made a, a mistake, in my opinion. Yeah. It's part of the game. Part yeah. And, and Steve, talking about the kids and types of kids, I'm a high school principal, right? I got I got every type of kid that we deal with. You know, as a coach, who who are the kids that you are looking for, right? Ivy League, you think academics, right? How are you ranking academics, uh, character, um, the uh, the athletic talent? How, are you? Is there a rubric? Like, how do you find the Ivy League kid that fits for you? Well, we, I'm very analytical, Andrew, and I think it's a, it's a tool that we use, but there's a, there's a science to all this and there's an art. Um, and the art is you got to get to know them. You got to look in their eyes. And I'm sure you have students that are walking the halls and use something with that young man, whether it's something that he did or something that he's, you believe in him, even though maybe something on paper doesn't translate to, great success, but there's something that tells you. There's a, there's a piece of that. We also have a, a 10 uh, piece criteria that we rate our guys. Some of it's physical skills. Some of it's the craft, the, their ability to shoot. And then there's a piece that's character based. And, and we try to get all myself and my three assistants to see all the kids and then give us your scores. And then we're pretty sure after all the years that these scores translate to all league or, you know, a solid bench player or whatever. So we try to do a little bit of both science and, and the art of it. Yeah. You always had great kids. And I got to tell you, I don't know if you've ever heard this from a ref or not. Ref in those Ivy League games, the word that comes to my mind is just is pure. The kids played clean. They played hard. You know, there was a lot of movement, the cutting and the screening. They were like, it's like a joy to referee those games. It really was a beautiful game. You know, I think people think when you talk like that, that these kids aren't talented. Um, but that's not the case. That we is not the league case. In the country, we had the same NBA amount of NBA draft choices at the, as the Big East last year. Wow. Like, these are – and we don't get transfers. For the most part, we may get grad transfers because of rules, but we haven't had transfer in 25 years. Wow. Like, we're just, to your point, like, this is, these kids are coming for the betterment of themselves and their team and and makes for incredible games. That's why I think the league is, has grown so impressively um, over the last 12 years and won games in the tournament. And, like, this year we beat – uh, Alabama, we beat Providence, uh, we beat Temple, like, and our league is did it. Uh, temp, uh, Yale went down to beat Clemson at Clemson, and Harvard has a ton of great wins, yeah. uh, as does Princeton. So, it's a great league. It's very talented, and it's played the right way. But I think people still don't understand. I mean, the level of talent in this league is really impressive. Well, all of those coaches on those teams that you guys beat, they know it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Coach, in getting ready for the show, I kind of looked at your your uh, your roster as well as your coaching staff. And some of these guys have been with you. Cornell, Boston College, they've been with you. And then I saw you have Joe Dowling on your staff. He's a mental strength trainer. 
tell me about that. And I was so happy to see that, right? The social, emotional, the mental part of the game. I was so happy to see that on there. Tell me about having Joe Dowling on your staff. Well, Joe is a, is a friend of mine from the 80s, but he was at the time, his, his background is in clinical psychology. So he deals with addictions, uh, you know, depressions, anxiety, all mental health issues. But over the last 35 years, he's grown into what he calls zonefulness. Um, and he has a book, and we could probably put it on here somewhere. But it's a quick read, and it's really good for parents of student athletes and the student athlete. But I brought Joe in at Cornell and Boston College. But now at Penn, they were willing to make the investment that essentially for the men's and women's basketball team, he's, uh, he gives us 20 hours a week. Wow. So he does in individual training with these kids to work on peak performance, to relax in the moment and develop these skills that they can utilize in the rest of their life, not just on the foul line when the game's on the line. Um, and he's been incredible as a group said to bring them in and the coaches aren't there. And now the, the kids can really go around the, the room and just talk about things that are on their minds. Maybe, they don't feel comfortable when a coach is there. And then lastly, uh, like all kids that age, they're finding out who they are. And there could be mental health struggles that they don't feel really comfortable going to a coach and they can go to him. I can't tell you how proud I am to have that part of our program. I feel really strong. And it's been used by a lot of my guys and our girls team. Um, and going forward, 10 years from now, we always talk about the game's 90% mental, but we don't deal with it. We deal with the strength part in the weight room, but the mental side is huge. And we're fortunate enough to have Joe uh, be our peak performance coach. Yeah. And that is a great thing for you and your program. And, you know, you talk about building good people, right? You, you have great relationships with the guys from Cornell, right? But it's, Again, what makes you a better parent, that you won to the NCAA tournament or that you have the mental right. strength to get through these times and to make sure that you get up and go to work every day and all of that kind of stuff? No question, Andrew. Yeah. I just talk about, like, the kids today, it's so much harder to grow up than it was uh, when I grew up. There's just so many issues. And the obvious one is the social media piece, but there's others. It's just really difficult. You make a mistake at that age now, it's magnified to incredible degrees, which it's just not fair. Yeah. And kids haven't changed. Yeah. Um, the world's changed. The kids are the same, in my opinion. And we gotta, see, gotta help them. You see so many of these young kids that are getting drafted or, or, you know, whether they get a tattoo that was out of character or they wrote something when they were 16 on social media. Yeah, that's a rough, a rough thing. When we were kids, we made a mistake. Our grandmother smacked us and pulled our hair, and you, and you learned, right? You're right. Yeah, that's exactly a tough. Right. Yeah. And I think it's up to us as adults and educators uh, to understand that kids are going to make mistakes. And, and you just got to, like, nothing surprises me anymore. And I, I, I try to help them through it uh, because I just think the easy thing is everyone's changed. Kids aren't the same. Like, that's not the answer. I love it. I love it, Coach. And speaking of kids, you have a big family. You got four kids of your own. 
uh, you know, come, people coming to Penn. You got a high schooler. And coach, how how you do it all, right? You're, you're a Division One men's basketball coach in Philadelphia, big city. How do you balance it all? Andrew, I probably didn't do a good job of it, honestly, earlier in my career. Um, and I just learned to be more efficient in everything you do because the family means so much. And um, as I said, I probably didn't do as good a job as I needed to. Uh, I think I've learned a, a great deal on how to uh, to handle family uh, and your kids and be in the moment and put losses and things that are happening in your professional life aside. Um, and I, I just think you got to make it a priority. Uh, more isn't always better. I tell young coaches that all the time. I used to think, I'm just going to outwork everybody. Um, that's not the answer. Um, smarter, efficient, and sometimes less is, is better. And learning from that uh, so you can spend quality time where it's really important with your family, your kids, and they need a father. They need your need a husband. Um, and as I said, it's not, I'm, not, I'm not perfect. I didn't, wasn't really good at this. I hope I'm better now. Yeah. Well, God bless you, and, and I agree with you. Uh, that time, I remember, again, officiating. They didn't care how the game. They didn't care about the game. As soon as I pulled the car in the driveway, it was like I had to I had to put that call, those whistles yeah. behind you. Yeah, and your That's family. Good. That's yeah. healthy. I, and I enjoy that. I like that part. That what my they don't they could care less at at some points. That's, <laughs> that's the way it should be. Yeah, coach. Was there anything else you wanted to share? Right, you've got a million stories. Uh, you, you've coached so many kids, and uh, yeah, was there anything that I didn't ask you that that you wanted to touch on? Ah, Andrew, you've done a great job. I can go on all day with things about the program, but I appreciate your questions as an educator. And coming from that, um, I, I love guys that like you and like I, I assume people that are on here because, as I said, I have four children. I'm one of seven. Um, I have so much respect for teachers, especially now when you saw all the virtual learning that goes on. I think all of us parents, if we didn't appreciate the day in and day out interactions that you have with our children, we certainly do now. And the impact that you have on their lives is enormous. And we should be supporting you as much as we can. Yeah. Well, you're in with us, Steve. You're, you just happen to teach in a big, famous Philadelphia landmark. Uh, but you're impacting those kids uh, just like we are. And, and we have a lot of the same challenges. Um, but, again, for someone that was running up and down where people are usually yelling at you, you were a model, uh, again, of intensity, uh, passion, without acting like a you-know-what on, on the, the sideline. Uh, so a class act. Steve, let's get to rapid fire. This is a fan favorite here. And I must have had a technical, you know, tech issue here because I, I, my, I wasn't able to see the comments of the people watching. So if you're watching live and we missed you today, I wasn't able to read these. Something must have happened here. Don't call a technical foul on me, uh, Steve, but we'll get that sorted out. But here we go. Rapid fire. I know you're at the beach here. Great time to read. What was the last book you read? Last book I've read was actually the John Feinstein, The, the Back Roads to March. Um, I'm, he's a great writer. 
it, it just weaves an incredible story. But if you, the books I love are, are a lot of them self-help, uh, Malcolm Gladwell's and Adam Grant is a professor at Penn. Give and Take is a great book. Mm. Uh, but that's the last one. He's got me. That was the last book I read. You know, Feinstein is a big fan of the Ivy League. And someone told me he mentioned me in there in one of the games. So I got to make sure I get that. He's been on the program. Yeah, he's a great writer, but a big fan of the Ivy League for sure. Uh, last movie you saw? You know what? Um, I can't remember because we can't, haven't been out. Um, but um, the last one I read, I'm not even proud. It, it was a story of uh, Tim Dunnigy and the NBA yeah. scandal. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm i from Tim's high school, and I know yeah. all the characters in the movie. And uh, I, Of course, I was interested in it. I'm not happy about it, but it's a, it's on a Prime, I think, if people want to watch it. I saw that. I did see that. And again, yeah, as you're curious, and I think he wrote a book about it, too. Not that you want to support that, but certainly learning how, how that happened. You've traveled all over the country with basketball. And give me one favorite place to travel for hoops. Favorite place to travel with Mrs. Donahue. The one with my wife is very easy. Uh, we went to Italy as a team, and, and we celebrated our 25th, and we went to Capri. Nice. Uh, the the Amalfi Coast. If yeah. You haven't been there. Oh my God, it's ridiculous. Get the limoncello. What's that? Get the limoncello. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and for me, the coach, uh, yeah. there's outside the Palestra, Fog Allen at Kansas is an amazing venue. It's just, and it's 18,000 people. When we played them at Cornell, we lost the game in the last minute. What a questionable call, I might add. Uh, Big 12 guys, I'm sure, I'm sure. But the, just what I remember the most about the game, I still get chills, is when we walked off the whole place stood and cheered for us and I, I had so much respect for that group of fan base in kansas it's just it'll be a memory that our guys will never forget i'm sure coach you talked obviously a lot about things that motivate you and you're passionate about basketball related outside of basketball what's something that motivates you or you're passionate about you know i, I think uh, for me i have an autistic son i had a, a severely autistic brother um, I think anybody that is struggling in life because of some, um, they're just, they've just been dealt a bad set of cards, whether it's physical, mental, color of your skin, anybody's been marginalized, I'm fighting for the underdog. Uh, I think we all need to do that. Um, and I try to do that with my program in my own life uh, and try to make this place a little better for those people. How about a pet peeve of yours? Something gets under your skin. You know, um, not really. I don't, I don't, I can't, people that, you know, once again, I'll, I'll fall into that. People that don't care about others that are less fortunate. That just, that bothers me. I don't know if I can do anything about it, but it, it bothers me. How about a pet peeve from an official, something under the court that got you? You know, and Andrew, and I say this because you and I developed a relationship strictly during games. And you can do that. A good official will do that. 
you'll have a rapport. So you see him in two months. It's like you saw him last week. Um, so in retrospect or flip that, if someone isn't able to just communicate with you and doesn't really want to hear your side of it, and that's, that's a pet peeve. That's a bad official, no matter how skilled he is. Uh, he's missing the whole point of officiating, in my opinion. And certainly in the Northeast, I mean, there's great officials all over. Us in the Northeast, we felt that that was a skill that we learned from our mentors. We had some of the, you know, Mickey Crowley and, uh, you know, so many of these guys, you know, that, that came first. The call Jack came Allen. first. Is it, is it, there's, you had so many legendary guys ahead of you, and that was always what they were good at. Yeah. But think about the old Big East, where all those refs originally came from, and the characters on the sidelines they had to deal with. Yeah. And they did it in such a, you know, a great way to keep the, keep the game moving. The 30 for 30 on the Big East is classic. Love it. it. Yeah. yeah. How about someone you'd like to meet? Is there someone that you wanted to meet, have a conversation with, have dinner with? Barack Obama. I've come close. He probably doesn't know that, but uh, I tried to get him to play pickup at the Palestra. Um, you know, his brother-in-law is Craig Robinson, who's now the head of our NABC. Okay. He was Brown at the time. That's right. Um, so I always hit him up. Like I, I admire the heck out of him. Yeah. Plays who? So. <laughs> play some hope. Unbelievable! You couldn't get him to the Palestra. <laughs> Growing up and now living in Philadelphia is fill in the blank. Um, it is very special. It's very unique. It's very provincial in the sense that if you're not from here, you may find it a little touch and go and a little rough around the edges, <laughs> but whoever's here, it's why you love this place. Yeah. It's pure filling. I don't want to get you in trouble now. Best cheese steak. You know, uh, Del Sandro's, I, I worked for Herb McGee, who was another mentor of mine. Um, I left, I, I said this to him the other day, actually, I left him in 1990. I don't know how many games he won since then, but he was a pretty good coach back then. And I looked <laughs> it up. He only won 800 games since I left. Uh, but they have a great cheesesteak place, Del Sandro's. Unbelievable. Right up there. Who taught you the whistle? <laughs> I taught myself seventh grade bitty basketball practice. Um, coach was yelling at us. I was <laughs> doing my thing and it came out and he kicked me out of practice. <laughs> I swear. And from then on in, I, I had the whistle. And people always, I get that question more than anything. <laughs> and, tell, and teach me. I, I can't teach it. I mean, that's louder than our whistles, really. Fox 40 needs to do a, a recording of you. <laughs> I know coaches that I, I, don't, I don't use my hands. It's just a pure whistle. I can sing a song with it. I can. <laughs> I mean, really, you can hear it. That place is so loud. I you hear, you hear that whistle. games on TV. I turn down a sound because I hear my whistle. <laughs> this, Andrew, I've, turned, I've gotten better at limiting my, my whistles. Okay. So did I. Try to hold that whistle. Best purchase under $100 that has had a great impact on your life. 100 bucks, huh? Yeah, that's a that's a good one. 
Um, I don't have a great answer for that except these because they're readers and I don't know where I'd be without them. They're under 100 bucks, trust me. You probably got a few pairs. You got one in every room, right? That was one thing good about the quarantine. I didn't lose any readers the first time in four months. You got to get the ones that Clockerty's got. They they uh, magnet in the front. He hooks them right here. I'm giving up if I do that. Something about Steve Donahue that people do not know about. No, you, you know, I'm an open book. You gave the, uh, you gave away the whistle. Um, I like all kinds of music, and I'm not like I like today's age. And my daughter's all psyched for Taylor Swift dropping tonight at midnight our new eighth album. Okay. To that. Yeah. Um, I'm a fan of all music. Getting to the Sweet 16 was? Um, it's, if, it's, if it's one word, it was it's hard to do it one word. It was, uh, for me, my ability to repay loyalty. I felt really uh, grateful for all the support I got because it just doesn't happen. Go look around the country that you lose for seven straight years and there's someone still in that head coaching position. And I was able to reward that loyalty uh, to the players, to the parents, and most importantly, the administration. Yeah, that was it was magical. Ten years from now, Steve Donahue will fill in the blank. Uh, I, I believe I'll still be coaching at Penn. I really do. That's where I want to be. Um, I, I'm going to be, I, I always say I, I'm not young, but I don't want to get old. So I, I fight that mentally, physically and, uh, and stay. Uh, and I, the one thing I've always said to myself that I'll never be, um, stubborn as I got more into the profession, I'll get mm. more flexible. I'll try more things. I just think that older coaches kind of get stuck in their ways and the game goes past them. I never want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that's trying new things, even if it doesn't, you know, 10 years from now, I probably will hate the way I play now. I hope because I've learned how to play better. Well, you have a young spirit and you certainly model that being in shape, taking care of yourself, you know, self-care. And uh, again, not, you talked about not the, 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 the intensity, not taking it out in a, in a negative way, you, you know, channeling that, using your power for good, not evil. So, uh, and do you have a quote, Steve? You said a lot of great things. I love what you had said about family and the NAFA and, and that. You know, do you have a favorite quote that you kind of live by, something to end this with? You would think I did, because I send a lot of quotes uh, to my guys all the time. I read one and I'll just, we have a group text and, and I'll, I'll throw them out there, and every day I have one. But I'm not, I'm just not wired like that to say, mm. here's what I do. I'm like on to the next thing. But I, I do think for young kids, I always say this, and I said it in this broadcast, uh, failure is not fatal. Like, and what I mean is I've always, I, I probably say this before every game to my team, the team that's willing to make the most mistakes is the team that's going to probably win this game. If you're willing to take a chance and make a mistake, that means to me, you're willing to make the great play. 
and I'll take 20 great plays and 10 bad plays, then 10 great plays and five, you know, bad plays. I just think the more you can make and take a chance and show some greatness, you're going to keep getting better. If you're like, I always, I always hate coaches. Oh, it's all about turnovers. Can't turn the ball over. Like, how do you expect to get better? Like, I just think that's, you're going to just stay mediocre. So I, I, I try to say that to my guys in every aspect that, you know, try things. You know, don't be afraid to make mistakes. And that would prompt the whistle, not as that you were yelling at them, but to, to change, right? To, to get back on defense or something right. changed. And you, you were always hear the whistle because now you had them going in the other way. I love that failure is not fatal. Uh, this is Steve Donahue, everyone, uh, um, the head men's basketball coach. Steve, this was fantastic. I got pages of notes here. Uh, really just just wonderful. Uh, you did an amazing job. I appreciate you taking time out of your vacation here. I'll be waiting on those cookies, by the way. <laughs> well, and I appreciate that because I wanted to give them one more shout out. Here it is, Murata 15. We're going to send you those, Steve. We're going to send you a copy of my book. And I'm also going to send you my buddy's uh, journal. This is a fantastic resource for coaches. Uh, we're going to send this. Uh, this is from Dan Spanauer in the Coaching and Leadership Journal. So I'm going to send you a copy of that. Uh, but, yeah, I bet you they're going to be some of the best cookies uh, you have there, Steve. So you stay on the line. Let me cue up this music here. Uh, again, this was Steve Donahue, uh, University of Pennsylvania basketball. I'm not sure what happened with the comments. If those, you know, I apologize. You were watching live. We couldn't get to you. Uh, but if you're not a fan of the Ivy League after watching this, I hope you are now because uh, Steve is a great ambassador for them. Um, Steve, you're on Twitter at Coach underscore Donahue, right? Correct. And then Penn Basketball is at Penn Basketball, right? Correct. There we go. All right, th Steve, thank you very much. I'm going to cue up this music here and uh, stay on the line, Steve. Uh, again, Steve Donahue, University of Penn. Thank you so much, everyone. Education, leadership beyond. You're going to enjoy those cookies.